Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kudzu Vine for July 17, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, uh, exciting show tonight. We're going to welcome back into the Kudzu Vine for umpteen times, our political expert from Pennsylvania, Mike Bitkus. Uh, he, he's going to come in and tell us all about the Keystone State. Um, I got two dogs in here, if you can hear them, that are talking about I don't know what, but I'm about to move on from then. Um, we're excited to have Mike come back and tell us all about um, some of these really intriguing races in Pennsylvania that we've been discussing as out-of-state novices the past few weeks. Um, but until then, we used to always do these where we would rank the states as far as, um, you know, how interesting the political races were. Well, it seems like this year the action, so much of it is in the United States Senate, is will the Senate flip or will it not? And um, we wanted to, you know, kind of do one of those uh, ranking systems where we do. So we're going to rank the top anywhere from five to seven most flippable seats in the United States Senate. And this is flippable either way. Um, And we'll go in order from most likely for each of us um, to fifth or seventh, seeing how far we get with time, and go from there. Um, Guys, I do not mind starting off since this is my thing. I, I don't mind giving the first one. And my most flippable state is actually may go against the trend this year, but I still think it's more the most flippable of all of them, and that would be Pennsylvania. Now, I reserve the right for Mike to give me new information and change my mind, but I think John Fetterman has the best chance to flip that seat, and that is for several reasons. One, I think he is extremely popular and connects with Pennsylvania voters, and I just don't think uh, Mehmet Oz is very popular with um, Pennsylvania voters. The out-of-state thing's going to hurt him. The fact that he just doesn't connect with that MAGA base is also a big issue. One caveat I do see is that uh, if John Fetterman's health became a lingering situation that goes on, you know, more weeks than just, like, into, say, next week, uh, that could change things. But it seems like he's got more on the trail, found ways to get in front of voters, so that may kind of subside as a is a fact. Um, Catherine, I'm going to pass it to you. You can either switch over to your first um, race, or if you have a comment on what I just said, feel free. Well, I agree with you. I think Pennsylvania is uh, the most likely, and uh, for all the reasons that you said, in addition to, um, I think Fetterman is a really – authentic and, uh, you know, kind of interesting candidate. 
But also, like you said, uh, Dr. Oz is just not connecting with with people, and I think he's so disconnected from the, you know, working class of Pennsylvania that I think that is a real disadvantage for him. So I agree with you. Pennsylvania, number one. Okay. Tim, let's see what you have to say. Well, I, too, have Pennsylvania. You know, you got a Republican senator retiring in a blue state. That's always a good combination. Uh, and Dr. Oz is is not particularly popular with his own party. 46% of Republican primary voters on Election Day actually had an unfavorable view of Oz. That's, now, generally, they coalesce afterwards, but so far they haven't done so. Uh, the polling is showing that... Uh, Fetterman is uh, 48 to oh, 40.5 in compilation polling. I think Fetterman's going to win there, albeit barely. There we go. Yes. Well, now let's go to our second um, uh, most likely to flip, and we can kind of snake this thing. And, Tim, I'll go back to you for your second most likely to flip. Well, that would for me, that would be the state of Nevada. Now, here we have a Democratic incumbent in Catherine Cortez Masto, and her opponent is a pretty good one, Adam Laxalt. He's the son of a former governor and senator, uh, as we know, and he was also uh, the attorney general of the state of Nevada, so... He has run and won a statewide race. I think that this is clearly the most likely Democratic seat to flip this year. Yes. Catherine, your take on number two. Well, I'm just being awfully agreeable today, I guess. <laughs> I tend, unfortunately, I tend to agree with Tim. Yes, well, well, I don't think it's unfortunate at all. I agree, too, and maybe it's because, one, uh, Catherine Masto, she just doesn't have the, you know, the, the name ID, the sizzle, the biography of some of these other candidates that are running um, for reelection, like Reverend Warnock, like um, Mark Kelly. And so I think that plays into it. Now, one thing I did want to ask y'all when I came into this is Adam Laxalt is probably a better opponent than Herschel Walker, than possibly Blake Masters, and a few others, Dr. Oz, on the Republican Mm -hmm. side. But in this past week, there was an audio tape of him talking about, you know, really restricting abortion rights, something that in Nevada, a state that has legal prostitution – Legal gambling, one of the most libertarian states in the union, um, he made those statements. Um, Catherine, how much do you think that will impact this race? It's so hard to know. You know, it's just really difficult because, you know, we always talk about this. Economics is really the thing that most usually drives people uh people's decisions on voting this year um 
abortion rights might make a difference. The problem is, is that it's too late for the, I mean, the work really has to be done at the state level. And so it's just hard to know if people are going to be angry enough to just vote out Republicans um, or not vote for Republicans or recognize that it's really at the state level where they have to focus their attention. So I just think it's, it's, I think a lot's going to depend on what happens with the economy between now and the election. And also if the administration uh, and the house do anything to try to pass any kind of legislation, which I don't think is going to happen before the election. So uh, it's, 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 it's hard to say, uh, as always, you know, we can't predict the future, but I think those are the things that are going to play into how much um, abortion rights play into the election. Yes. Now, Tim, um, those comments that were recorded, I think they actually, you know, came out in the past week or so. We hadn't discussed them. How significant do you think that will play into this race? Well, we're unsure because we have never been in this situation before, as we discussed before we went on the air tonight. Um, uh, Abortion has never been a cutting issue in campaigns. It hasn't had to be. I mean, abortion, uh, you know, has been the law of the land um, for 49 years until now. Uh, Most people... Uh, in this country, we've never known a time when it was not legal. Therefore, it was not something they had to worry about that much when they went to the polls to vote. It was always way down the list of things. So the great unknown is how is it going to affect what happens not only in Nevada, but in races all over the country. I wish I could tell you I knew. I really don't know how significant that issue is going to be when voters walk in the voting booth. Yes, it'll be interesting to see, but I do think that that audio that was recorded is not a net plus for Adam Laxall and and, um, could help. And it also may mean that that, um, she's connecting much more in her state than she does with voters out of her state. I mean, just because she doesn't have a notoriety outside of Nevada, that's, you know, the other 49 states don't count on that equation in November. Well, Catherine, this time you don't have to agree with us. We might have to agree with you because you get to go first on your third most flippable state. Well, I'm probably going to, I'm going to be hopeful and say Wisconsin. Um, Ron Johnson is not very well liked, and uh, maybe we can, you know, maybe with good GOTV and other things, we can get the vote out and get him out of there. Yeah, I I agree with Catherine. Uh, Wisconsin, I mean, uh, and uh, Ron Johnson is not popular. The the trick is is on our side of the aisle, uh, a nominee. How does that figure in? Uh, Tim? Your third state. 
What did we do? Look at each other's list before we came on. <laughs> Wisconsin, Wisconsin is also number three for me. Um, Ron Johnson has an approval rating right now at 37%. Um, uh, President Biden's, by the way, is 40% there. So it, it, we're, we're unsure if voters are going to be casting an anti-Biden vote or if they're going to be casting more of an anti-Johnson vote. Now, I want to caution people that six years ago, we thought we had this guy beat. If you remember, he had a 41% approval rating then, and he won his race. Um, So he is certainly, though, um, the most likely Republican incumbent uh, to lose this year if if he does lose. And we don't know yet who his opponent's going to be because I think their uh, primary is like, oh, August the 9th or something. He's running like dead even against a generic Democrat. But I, I think Johnson's going to find a way to win, David. Yeah, um, I don't have Wisconsin in my top five. I'll go ahead and tell you. Um, I think my biggest question mark with Wisconsin is um, I just don't know. I think Mandela Barnes ekes it out, but he doesn't seem to be commandingly taking that, unlike his lieutenant governor um, from a few states over when John Fetterman vanquished uh, really Connor Lamb, who was probably a stronger challenger than um, is seemingly – um, is in that Wisconsin field. Um, so it's not my top three. My third one, and this is where I could – three to five I could, I could mix up in almost any order. But I'm going to say New Hampshire and Maggie Hassan, that she, she got super lucky in that the sitting governor, Chris Sununu, declined to um, you know, run in that race. But it seemed like – the fact that he might have made people kind of, you know, go into the undecided column for a little bit. And so she kind of has to build that back. Now, she is a multi-term incumbent, so one would think that would help some. But I just don't know that the Republicans are going to nominate just a completely unqualified candidate like Herschel Walker, a completely, um, you know, right-wing candidate like Blake Masters. And so, therefore, I just want to say Hassan uh, is my third most uh, flippable seat in New Hampshire. Um, before we go to four, any comments on that? Hmm. I just want to make one correction. She's not – this is her first – she's the end of her first term. She was end a of her first before. term. Okay, did, I, I don't know why I thought she was in there She did two once. terms as governor, but this is her first Senate That's, term. Good information, Catherine. So this is her first term, so that actually kind of, you know, makes me feel a little bit better about my prediction, less better about her um, her odds. Well, so now we're to the fourth race, and I guess it's my turn to go next, and I really don't want to because this is almost flip a coin because I think these two incumbents are as good as you could get. It's just they're, they're very emerging Democratic states they're uh, running in. And it's almost because of their opponent that I'll probably go this way, Um, even though I think Mark Kelly may be slightly stronger as a candidate than Raphael Warnock. 
Blake Masters can put two sentences together that actually relate to an issue. He may be wrong on it, but they actually relate to something, unlike Herschel Walker. So I'll just give a narrow um, push to four uh, to Mark Kelly in Arizona. Um, Catherine, what's your fourth state? Uh, it starts getting difficult. Um, it starts getting unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. Ha- <laughs> I'm looking at my list. Uh, unfortunately, I guess I'm gonna have to go with your third and say uh, Maggie Hassan. Unfortunately, um, her numbers are weaker than I would have hoped, but. Uh, I'm hoping she can pull it, pull ahead, but I think she's probably right on the fence there. So I'll, I'll go with New Hampshire. Tim, your your fourth one. Well, my fourth one is Georgia, um, and we we know about the deficiencies of Herschel Walker, and I I don't really need to replay any of that right now. Uh, uh, though with all of his troubles, all of his bad press. Well, Warnock in compilation polling is up 49 to 46.2. 49's not a bad place for an incumbent to be. Um, I, 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 I'm just very fearful that Democrats in this state are not going to vote like they did in 2018. That's why I've rated this state so high. And 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 I, I still believe that Walker has a pretty good chance to win. Yes, now, now Tim, you say that the um, you know all these things that we've covered, but there was one this week uh, that wasn't covered, and, and let's make mention of it now. Um, Herschel Walker talked about the air quality in America, the air quality <laughs> in China. And how the American God. burden is we clean the air because we have the cleanest air around, and then China dirties up the air, and then we have to go back and clean this air that got dirty in China. Don't even ask me about the air between China and and um, uh, America. And as crazy as that all sounded, it was at the Hall County GOP event. That had bar, they had barred media, but somebody had filmed it. I mean, they just filmed social media. Somebody that was going to, you know, support him, and they put it on there. And the scary thing to me was, a lot of people in the crowd nodded and clapped and was like, you know, that makes total sense to me. And Hall County is the next for Urban County. I would probably say it's in the top half of educational attainment in the state, um, and they listened to this and thought it, you know, was worthy of being supportive of. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on the statement and then also your thoughts on the crowd reaction. Well, I mean, with as with most of Walker's statements, you, 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 you want to recall the Bible passage. It says when, you know, someone's speaking in tongues, let there be an interpreter present. Uh, that that that's how off the wall these things he's saying are. But I still look at the polling, and he's sitting at forty six point two. That's not a bad place to be when 
you know, he's just uh, he, he's he's not the best candidate. Let's put it charitably. Uh, and if he's experiencing his worst times now, um, I, I think what they're probably going to do is 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 try to pull down Warnock's uh, numbers. Uh, that that's that's the old school thing that Trump did with Hillary Clinton, and it worked. He pulled her numbers down to his level, and then they were equal. And that's what Walker, I think, is going to do with Warnock, or that's what his campaign should do at least. Well, Walker ain't going to think to do that, but his campaign might. Uh, Republicans are not going to toss this Senate seat away, guys. They they uh they they want to win this Senate seat, and they'll do whatever they think it takes to do it. So, you know. All right. Well, Catherine, be thinking of your thoughts on, on that comment, and then also be getting y'all's fifth state ready for after our guest. But right now, we're going back to what we call the most flippable um, seat and talking to Mike Mixus, our Keystone political state expert. Welcome, Mike. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, Mike, it's been a few months. We had you on before the primaries. And so I want to start off by looking back. And those intriguing primaries, I mean, honestly, it's probably the most I've watched primary returns in any state. Now, I will preface it that when Georgia's results came out, was it the same day as the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and that rightfully so dominated coverage. But that week before, when it could just be politics, watching those two primaries was so fascinating. So since you're a Democrat, we'll start on the Democratic side. How did John Fetterman, how was he able to defeat uh, Connor Lamb and the rest of the field, you know, pretty comfortably? Yeah, it was, it was quite surprising to see him win by such, such a wide margin. At, at least when I say surprising – I mean, as as I looked at the race, you know, last fall, early this past winter, you know, I thought it would be a, a close race. I thought Connor Lamb would have run a much stronger campaign. But, you know, I, I've got to give John Fetterman a lot of credit. He ran a very strong campaign, both in terms of fundraising and messaging and exciting the Democratic base. But on the other hand, uh, Connor Lamb – you know, who has an incredible profile on paper. He's the exact type of candidate you want running for office, uh, ran a very poor campaign. He got a lot of bad advice uh, by his advisors, um, you know, just ran a lackluster campaign. And, you know, the combination of John Fetterman, you know, raising the money, running a strong campaign, um, you know, with – Connor Lamb running a poor campaign, you know, John Fetterman was able to walk away and win easily, um, you know, which now heading into the general, quite frankly, because, you know, it was weeks and weeks and weeks before the primary when it was clear John Fetterman was going to win. He's been able to pivot early towards the, the general election, and, and I think he's in a really strong position to flip that seat. Yes. Now, following up on John Fetterman before I move to the Republicans, uh, you and me, when we used to go to World Championship Wrestling, we've seen people like John Fetterman, but I don't think I've ever seen a candidate like John Fetterman. Now, obviously, he's your lieutenant governor, so you've been familiar with him for a while now, but is he just a really super different kind of candidate, and is that a huge part of his appeal? 
He, he, he's a much, much different candidate than you'll, you'll see anywhere in the country. He's six foot eight. He's bald. He's got tattoos. Um, he very rarely wears a suit. Um, typically, you see him in shorts, even in the winter when it's 25 degrees outside up here. He's wearing shorts and a Carhartt jacket. Um, he and has a goatee. He looks more like a biker than he does a politician or a professional wrestler, <laughs> using your, your, your little line there. Yes, well, and honestly, and I've said this on the show before, he kind of looks a lot like the Trump base, doesn't he? He does. He does. I mean, you know, you, you hear about Trump's appeal, especially in Pennsylvania, with the white working class voters, you know, people who work, you know, you know, they work with their hands, They work, whether it's construction or a steel mill, you know, this guy – you know, he can blend in on in any mill, any construction site. I mean, he just looks like a blue-collar guy. Yes. Well, there's still plenty to talk about moving forward, but I'm going to try to save some good questions for uh, good material for Catherine and Tim. Um, but I did want to move over to the Republican race. Now, that thing got really intriguing in that a lot of folks, I think, about a week before the primary thought Kathy Barnett was catching fire and could have won that race. She ended up finishing up competitive third. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, Dave McCormick, who was, I guess, seen as more of the establishment figure, really didn't get that con- much of the vote, which to me says a lot about the uh, state of the Republican Party, not only in Pennsylvania, but really across the country. And Mehmet Oz, who had the Trump endorsement, uh, eked out a victory that took quite a while. Um, what's your take on how that Republican race unfolded? Well, that race was one of the, the bloodiest, nastiest primaries I've seen in a long time. I mean, there were tens of millions of dollars spent both by Oz and by McCormick just hammering one, one another. You know, every day it seemed like there was a new attack ad on the air and it was wall-to-wall coverage. You know, McCormick had a ton of money. He's a Wall Street guy. Um, Oz, obviously, with his uh, – he's a celebrity worth millions. You know, they both candidates were able to spend a lot of money, and it was all negative attacks. In fact, you know, I was shocked that Oz was able to hold on because he was incredibly unpopular among Republican voters. Only 17% of Republican voters thought he was a conservative. Um, his favorable ratings, he was he had more people that viewed him unfavorably than favorably. Uh, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, John Fetterman, you know, got a uh, – my dogs are barking, I apologize uh, – got a, got, got a big break by getting Dr. Oz. He still, even after the primary, when the party tends to unite – he still has very high negatives against, um, you know, in, in terms of how Republicans view him. And I think he's in for a tough fight here in a year where the Republicans should do well. You know, Oz is really struggling. He's very unpopular. He's not even from Pennsylvania. He's from New Jersey. And John Fetterman's really done a great job exploiting that. Yes. Now, um, I want to ask one more question about Dr. Oz before I pass it to Catherine and then Tim, and I may have something else later. 
But, you know, you mentioned he's from New Jersey, and we've seen the social media campaign that John Fetterman's campaign has put in about that. But I know during the primary among Republican voters, people that Dr. Oz needs every one of them to vote for him, there was a lot of discussion about how much they don't like his continued Turkish citizenship. Now, I know that's an attack that wouldn't work in the Democratic Party, but this is a general election, and so it has to be analyzed. Um, how yeah. many Republican-leaning voters do you think are just going to completely uh, nix the idea of Dr. Oz because he's still a Turkish citizen? I, I think it's a problem that he does have. In fact, McCormick actually used that on a number of his attack ads where Dr. Oz said that he uh, would not renounce his Turkish citizenship e- even if he won the Senate race. He quickly flip-flopped, but by that time, the, the damage was already done. Um, you know, it, it's been reported that he's actually voted in Turkish elections in recent years. So he's got a lot of problems with that issue. And, you know, obviously the Fetterman campaign will need to be careful with how they do it. They want to come across as bigoted. But it is a legitimate a legitimate issue, especially if a U.S. senator, you know, is going to have access to classified materials. If he's a citizen of another country, that, that, that could be problematic. And quite frankly, a lot of these voters in central Pennsylvania and in the historically Democratic areas that have become much more Republican over the recent years, I think that's the the areas where, you know, this issue could have the greatest impact with us. Yes, it'll be interesting to see, and I wonder how much of the New Jersey attacks are a bit of a proxy uh, to keep reminding voters of uh, Mehmet Oz's non-Pennsylvanianess, which then would include the Turkish citizenship. Well, I, I can tell you in Pennsylvania, some people may view Turkey more favorably than they do New Jersey. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Well, well, since I've never lived in uh, – I've visited two of the states but never been to Turkey and never resided in any of them. I'll, I'll let y'all sort that out. Um, well, I will pass this to Catherine and then to Tim, and then if they leave anything else, I may come back with something else. Catherine? Sure. Hey, Mike. Thanks for being on tonight. We appreciate it. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, glad to I'm be curious. Here. I haven't analyzed any of the voting numbers from Pennsylvania from the primary, but I find it a little interesting that um, Oz was so unpopular, and but he did win. What Have you looked at those numbers? Were there like a lot of independent voters that voted for him, or well, how did independents that happen? Can't vote. Yeah, independents cannot vote, so this is strictly Republicans. You know, quite frankly, it was the fact that he had uh, that Oz had Trump's endorsement, which oh, okay. we're seeing in multiple states. You know, that's good for about thirty percent of the vote, and which is about what Oz got. And you know, what he benefited from was that the rest of the vote was split. You had. Kathy Barnett, you had David McCormick, you had Jeff Bardos, uh, you know, so you had a number of candidates. So to win the primary, we don't have runoffs in Pennsylvania. Right. You don't need okay. To that makes sense. Theoretically, you can win with 10%. And, uh, you know, I've been involved in primaries when you've had seven, eight candidates and somebody wins with 21% and there's no runoffs. So, you move on. And so, you know, one of the most amazing things I, I 
witnessed. I, I actually I didn't go, obviously, but I watched it online. Trump came to Western Pennsylvania and had a rally for Oz uh, before the primary. And you know, prior to the the, the, the you know the speeches and, and the activities starting. You know, they, had, they were playing videos, and every time Oz's face came on the screen, the crowd would boo. It was one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen. So, you know, the bottom line is, you know, he was able to win despite being very unpopular, but just because he was able to get the plurality needed. You know, but, right, you I know, get it. One, yeah. yeah, so it, it was, it's a really interesting deni- dynamic. I have a, a little bit of an off-topic question. Um, I was I was reading about Pennsylvania a little bit today, and I saw that the legislature was trying to block funding to some of, so specifically to the University of Pittsburgh because yes. of some research that they do with using um, fetal tissue. Did that? Did they vote on that? The last thing. Yeah, I it actually from, got resolved, but it came very close to. Yeah, it would have it would have resulted in tuition going up about twelve thousand dollars a year, but yeah, you know, like, I don't think the, I don't think the Republicans are done it, with it. This may be the last year Pitt gets their funding from the state. Wow, mm. because none of that money goes to that to that research. It's just no. money. Okay, no, I just no, was in fact, kind of curious research, about that because I didn't see the most recent news story about that. Okay, well, now, I'm going to pass the... it to Tim because I know he's got some more questions for you. Sure. Thanks so much. Good evening, Mr. Mickus. How are we doing Good evening. Tonight? Yeah, and how are uh, those two fur babies that I heard in the background doing? Uh, they're, they're, you know, they were quiet all day and decided to perk up once I, hey, once I started ignoring time. them. <laughs> that, that's why I get in the basement and leave the two large laboratories. Well, I'm in the basement, there. but they were, they, were, uh, they were overly rambunctious this evening. <laughs> okay. Um, there is a film making the rounds in Pennsylvania called The Return of the American Patriot, The Rise of Pennsylvania. It's uh, apparently being shown in some churches and uh, GOP gatherings, and they wanted to show the thing in some theaters, and that didn't work out. But it focuses on Doug Mastriano and his supporters, apparently. Now, I I know that Democrats wanted to face Mastriano, the thinking being, I guess, that he would be easier to beat. But new polling, I believe it's a Suffolk University poll, has Josh Shapiro only up by four points. So um, what's the deal with that race? Uh, Why is it that close? Well, I think it's just that close because, you know, while a lot of people like you and I are familiar with Doug Mastriano, he's pretty much an unknown state senator in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in a lot of uh, ways right now he's just your generic Republican but as mm-hmm. people learn about him and he, he, he may be the most dangerous gubernatorial nominee on the ballot in any state in this country this mm-hmm. man is a he, he, he's a Christian nationalist um, I mean he you know whether you know you pick the issue he's as far to the right 
as you can. can. Mm-hmm. He wants no exceptions for, mm-hmm. you know, with abortion, banning abortion, not, not even for the life of the mother. Uh, you know, whether it's voting, you know, he wants to basically unregister every Pennsylvanian and make everybody re-register. Uh, this is a guy who led the charge trying to steal the election in 2020. Um, he is out there. And, look, I think in the end, Josh Shapiro is going to win this. I mean, he's already picked mm-hmm. up a number of high-profile Republican endorsements. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Josh – you know, it's amazing. Both in 2016 and 2020, he led the ticket. Uh, uh, he actually got the most votes of anybody both elections in the state of Pennsylvania. He's done a, he, mm-hmm. you know, he's been a pretty strong attorney general. And you know, I, I am off, I often just am amazed because if I talk to somebody about him, just an average voter, it's almost he's done such a good job. If they're progressive, they think he's a progressive. If, he, if they're moderate, they think he's a moderate. He's, he's really done a good job of walking the line, the fine line, doing the things that energize progressives, but do also doing the things that drive moderates to support you. And so he's done a really good job laying the groundwork over the years for this run, but he's got a lot of money. He's got a great organization. He's a great candidate. And I think he's going to win. You know, it's Pennsylvania. He's not going to win by 20 or 30 points, but I, I think it's a good chance he comes close to winning by double digits when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I know that, that I, I saw where the Republican accountability pack uh, says they're going to uh, spend like, I don't know, $2 million in Pennsylvania mainly on account of him and that race. And uh, they're going to go after, of course, uh, Republican and conservative independent voters. Um, do you think there's a good number of persuadable Republican and conservative voters in that race that would vote for the attorney general? There are. There are. Um, there are, you know, in western Pennsylvania, especially southwestern Pennsylvania, these are areas that were rural areas that were traditionally Democratic, but only in recent years have they been voting Republican. And, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of these races, they still vote Democratic at the local level. So when, it, you know, when it's national versus local, and we saw a lot of that in Georgia over the years where they were, you know, before it became Republican, now it's coming back. But, you know, in, in rural Georgia, you had people that would vote for state representatives and local and county officials who were Democrats, but they, when it came to the presidential race, they'd vote, you know, Republican. So I think there are a number of gettable people, plus with Mastriano being so extreme on issues like abortion, uh, other social issues, you know, I think there's a number of Republican, soft, what I call soft Republican voters in the suburbs of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and quite frankly, even in some of the smaller cities like Harrisburg and Erie, that I think I think Josh is going to be able to make some inroads there. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think he's so extreme that uh, he may uh, realize Republicans' worst nightmare and, and hurt Republicans in the down ballot races around the state? Yes, and I think that's part of the reason why the Republican establishment really rallied around trying to defeat Mastriano. One of the reasons mm-hmm. they weren't successful is they couldn't agree 
on who the alternative should be. So um, that's why he was able to win. And I think Doug Mastriano could be, you know, the combination of him and Oz at the top of the ticket could really hurt in congressional and state house and state Senate races this year. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking, speaking of uh, Oz, I, I want to go back and uh, ask you a question there on the Senate race. I want you to make a, a choice for me. Which do you think is the bigger issue with voters? Is it Lieutenant Governor Fetterman's health, or is it Dr. Oz's residency? I think that's an easy one. I think it's uh, Dr. Oz's uh, residency. It's stunning to me how often, like when I'm just – because people know in my town know what I do for a living, so they always like to give me their uh-huh. opinions. And it's amazing how many people bring up the fact that Oz is from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he's not from here, and why is he even bothering to run here? It's it, it, it's it's an issue that's really resonated. Um, and then mm-hmm. in terms of uh, Fetterman's health, I don't think it's really a big issue, to be honest with you. I think mm-hmm. part of it is, you know, immediately following a primary, you don't expect to see <laughs> a candidate out on the stump a lot. You know, a lot of times right. you spend those months – yeah, you know, the weeks, you know, following a primary, you you focus on raising money, you focus on getting your organization and your plan put together. So, you know, the timing wasn't bad. And I think the other thing is, I think a lot of people know people who've had similar issues. And the fact that John Fetterman's only 52 years old, um, you know, I think played a part as well where they don't view it as serious. Oh, he's going to make a recovery. And they, they view it as, it, you know, it's a hiccup, but he's young, he'll be okay. It'd be a different thing, I think, if he were in his mid to late 60s or, old, or even older. So, right. so I think the residency issue is much more resonant with voters than uh, Fetterman's health. And, and uh-huh. I just read that it looks like he's going to be back on the, on the stump here in the next you know, week or two. Ah, outstanding. I'm going to ask you one more question, and I'm going to throw it back to David for some other stuff. But um, I know uh, this is kind of like one insider to another type of question. But on election night, you you know, there's the famous statement from Carville that uh, Pennsylvania is three places, you know, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Alabama. The, the, The question I have for you, what are you going to be focusing on on election night? What area of the state are you going to be looking at to get an early sense uh, of where things are going? Well, what I'm going to do is look at uh, some of the counties that, that were very close in the presidential race. Counties like uh-huh. Erie up in the northwest uh-huh. where Joe Biden uh-huh. narrowly wanted, Hillary Clinton narrowly lost. I'd also look at places – like Dauphin County, where Harrisburg is, then Lackawanna County, where Scranton is, I think you'll have a good sense just looking at those. If they're the same or closer than when Biden ran, it's going to be a good night for Democrats. You know, if the margins are wider, like when Trump won in 2016, it could be a problematic night. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. It's always good to talk to you, my friend, and we'll send it back to David. David? Yes, uh, Mike, just a few quick things. One, um, you know, we talked about John Fetterman's health scare, but it seems like 
that just forced his wife Giselle kind of into the limelight, and she really shined. How much was that kind of an unintended benefit in that the campaign kind of created another, like a, a Sarah getting a big way that could go out and draw a crowd? Well, it's very rare in these races, Senate races. You know, you get it a lot in the presidential race, but it's very rare in a Senate race where you can have a spouse who is just as good as, you know, some people say even better than the candidate. And, you know, Giselle did an amazing job. And, and you know, to me, who you know, I've known her and, and, and have seen her around over the years. So it wasn't a surprise to me, but it was a surprise to a lot of people who weren't as familiar with her and, and John. And she did an amazing job. And I, I think you're going to see throughout this election, she's going to continue on the stump. She's got a great story. You know, she runs with it. It's called the free store. She, she started it, uh, which basically provides it's a store where people can go, you know, people who are down on their luck can go get free, free clothing, you know, and she's also very involved with, you know, getting food to underserved areas. So she's got an amazing resume. Heck, some people joke that they would love to see her run as well. <laughs> yes. Now, you mentioned uh, Congress and how, you know, if if uh, Oz Craters, if Mastriano, people find out about how radical he is, that that could really hurt the Republicans down ballot. And we know there's so few places where the Republicans, I guess, are worrying about, you know, congressional races that they should win as much. And we know you also lost one in the state. Um, where are the congressional races that we should really watch in Pennsylvania? Well, there, there aren't a lot of them because the way the maps were drawn, that were drawn by the Supreme Court, you know, there's most of the seats, and this is pretty much similar to just about everywhere in the country. Most of the states are safe, but you know, in Western Pennsylvania, the seat that Connor Lamb vacated, the seat, the Senate seat, that 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 is a big race. Chris Deluzio is a Democrat running. He um, is an expert in cybersecurity. He's a veteran, um, you know, very strong candidate, but he's running against a hardcore right winger uh, who had only run for office one other time, but it's a district that's more or less a 50, 50 district. So that's the district to watch in the West, in the East, you have um, in the Northeast corner, you have uh, Congressman Matt Cartwright. Trump won his district, even when he was winning reelection in 2020, uh, the district got a little redder, and he's got a strong uh, opponent. Uh, that's a race I'd watch. And then just south of that, you have uh, Susan Wild, who um, her district got more Republicans, so it's going to be an interesting race to watch. Um, I just saw recently where you know Joe Biden's about 30 points underwater in terms of his favorability in that district, so – um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough fight. But the, both of those districts, are, actually all three of those districts, are ones where, you know, if Dr. Oz and, and Mastriano crater, crater, you know, those races, you know, which should in a year like this lean towards the Republicans, uh, could push the Democrats over the finish line just because whether it's lack of turnout or them just turning off swing voters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, great information tonight. Just as you leave our voter, I mean, leave our listeners, um, hopefully they're voters too. Um, if you want to tell people where they can follow you on social media, if you're writing or speaking anywhere, just anything you want to share with our, our listeners. 
Sure. The best place to follow me is on my Twitter account. It's Mike Mekus, P-A, and Mekus is spelled M-I-K-U-S. Um, you know, it's funny, during non-political years, I'm not very active other than football season, but when it's a political year, I, I, I fire it up and, you know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be firing away over the next few months. Yes. Well, we'll keep watching you there, and if these races stay as intriguing as we predict, we may end up having you in one more time before November. That sounds great. All right. Thanks again. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Thank you, guys. Good talking to you. All right. That was Mike Minkus, our Keystone political state um, expert, uh, does congressional or does uh, political races throughout the state and a native of Pittsburgh in that western part of the state. So always good to have Mike on, particularly when a state is as intriguing as that one is. Well, guys, uh, let's pick up where we left off. We're about to our fifth most competitive Senate race. But, Catherine, I did want to give you a chance to talk about the um, Herschel Walker air quality um, synopsis he gave us. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's just every day he says something, and you just – I mean, I didn't – it took me like three or four times reading that to have any idea what he was talking about. I still don't really understand it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he – if if we elect him, I just I, – I just don't know what what to think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was as clear as Herschel's description of Chinese air. Um, you know that that uh, scenario he laid out for us. Um, I, I just find it so intriguing, guys. I did want to talk some more about Arizona, but I have a feeling y'all may hit it the next little few we go over. So now we're to the fifth um, most competitive state. Now, Catherine, I think it's your turn to go first. No, I think I went first last time. Did you? Well, then, you know what? I'll let Tim go first. Tim? All right. Well, my fifth choice is the state of Arizona. Now, again, I I can't tell who all is going to be running against who because their primary also, I believe, is the first week in August, maybe the second. Um, Right now, it's figured that Blake Masters is going to probably be Senator Kelly's opponent. He's he's running double a double digit lead in his race, and uh, Kelly they've they've only had like one poll, and Kelly was up by nine. That poll was some time back. Obviously, this is going to be really, really, really close. Um, you know, I, I want to keep saying either Warnock or Kelly is going to find a way to win this thing, their race, and and, and I'm going and I'm going to hope that that's going to happen. Uh, um, maybe, maybe here in Arizona, he 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 might prevail, but man, it's going to be close. Even though Masters is not your average candidate, as we've discussed, so there yeah, we are. Well, I wanted to bring up. Two things about Arizona, I'll ask each of you um, a different one of them. And uh, Catherine, a few weeks ago, Blake Masters, and he still has a primary, discussed privatization of Social Security. I remember in 2006, the Bush administration floated this, 
and I don't know that anything else hurt the Bush uh, administration's poll numbers is when that plan was floated. I think in some ways it hurt him more than the response to Hurricane Katrina. Um, how much do you think this will impact Blake Masters in any state, much less a state with as many retirees as Arizona? Oh, I think it's it's a terrible thing for him to talk about politically, especially because more people, more and more people are uh, looking at the stock market than they ever have before. And, of course, our retirement, if it were privatized, would be directly related, directly connected to the stock market. And so I think more, even more now than before, people are aware of that. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a big mistake. Yes, and um, Tim, I wanted to ask you about a different thing. Uh, just this past Friday, a documentary came out in its own Gabby Giffords, Mark uh, Kelly's wife, and not just any political spouse, but she was in Congress. Uh, honestly, if what had tragically happened to Gabby Giffords had not happened, I don't think Mark Kelly runs for Senate because he might have been supporting his wife running for Senate, but she had so many injuries that was just not feasible. So she, he, in some ways, kind of living out her dream. This documentary comes out. Now, I don't think it will have the viewership of Where the Crawdads Sing or Elvis or Jurassic World, but at least in the state of Arizona, you would think this thing's going to be watched by some people. It's going to be discussed by some people, and it's going to be an hour-and-a-half, two-hour campaign commercial for Mark Kelly. How much do you think this documentary can benefit his campaign? Well, it can't. It certainly is not going to hurt. Uh, it, it'll. I think it'll help, but I, I don't believe it'll help as much as we hope it will. For one reason, because uh, she is a very, 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 very well-known commodity in that state, and I think all of the positive traction that uh, Senator Kelly would receive uh, from her or any story about her is probably already in the mix and has already happened. So that, that's where I'd be on that. Yes. Well, now um, Tim gave his fifth um, uh, race. Catherine, do you want to give your fifth one, or do you want me to go ahead? Um, well, I'm going to agree with Tim on Arizona, unfortunately, okay. for all the same reasons. Yes. I mean, it's an interesting state, and I do think – uh, Latino voters are going to be an interesting thing in that state because they trended more Democratic, unlike Texas and or Florida. So it's going to be interesting, I think, that block of voters, how they break in Arizona. Um, well, let's get to my fifth state, and that, this is where it's so close between, um, you know, Georgia and, and Arizona. And I, my fifth state is Georgia. Um, every poll shows Raphael Warnock doing, you know, really being the top of the ticket. And, and that's really in his favor. And if that wasn't the case, I might have had to have him hire. And he is running against Herschel Walker. And he, we know we're going to have more stories to tell there. But, but that's where I have my fifth race is um, just because, 
Georgia, it's only been Democratic for one cycle, um, and only at certain places, and it hadn't been in a, in a gubernatorial year, so you just have to want to see it more than once to you know that it's a permanent trend. So just kind of leery, even though as far as candidate quality, this may be the greatest divide in all of the country in any, you know, top-line race between Raphael Warnock and, and Herschel Walker. Um, Tim, then Catherine, any comments on that? Hmm. Well, you 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 apparently think this race is not going to be as close as I think it's going to be. <laughs> uh, I think this race is going to be very, very close. I do. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I think it's going to be close. I, I think almost every race we've mentioned is going to be close. Um, Catherine, any more thoughts? Oh, I mean, I, I just, I can't, I just have a really hard time imagining electing Herschel Walker. I know I'm, I'm just in my own little bubble about that, but, um, you know, for all the reasons that you mentioned, it it certainly is a possibility. I'm not, I'm not denying that possibility. I just would rather not think about it. (laughs) I like my bubble. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, and I'm interested to see, like, in the coming weeks, um, how many more Brian Kemp yard signs and bumper stickers do we see than Herschel Walker? Um, I guess, theoretically, Herschel Walker would just have a better – we'll put more emphasis in there and have more than Brian Kemp, but I have a sneaking feeling we're going to see a divide, how great that divide is. Um, Things like that will happen. Well, we talked about top five, even to top seven. Uh, Catherine or Tim, did you have a sixth or seventh you want to mention? I do not. I do. Tim, go ahead. Number six for me is uh, North Carolina, where Richard Burr is retiring. And uh, right now looks like um, Bud is ahead of Beasley by all around four points. Um, North Carolina continues to be fools. Go. I, I think we've got a good candidate in the um, former Justice uh, Beasley over there, but I believe because it's North Carolina, because it seems to be a Republican year, I just don't think we can uh, flip that seat this year. Yeah, I, I'll go ahead and mention a sixth one. I'll go ahead and tell you, Tim, I agree, and Catherine, I agree too. You know, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, and North Carolina all seem flippable in the right situation. Um, is this year the right situation? I wouldn't want to bet any money on it, but I will say this. Uh, J.D. Vance in, in Ohio is not connecting with voters. Tim Ryan is. Um, you know, I think if you could just put erase the D and the R and say these are two dudes, vote on them, I, I think Tim Ryan wins this race. I do think the the Republican trend of Ohio is very, very problematic. And then the fundraising numbers came out. And nobody's giving to a lot of Republican candidates, but J.D. Vance was definitely one of those candidates they weren't giving to. So that's my number six. Um, Any thoughts on that? And if you don't, we can move to Tim for seven. Mm. I think that was up there with me. 
I mean, when I was looking at them, I was thinking, what about that? Um, I think uh, Republicans are disliked right now. Um, well, I think that we all, they all are, and Republicans are getting, you know, they're just not, um, they're not, voters aren't, aren't, uh, responding to them, engaging with them. So I think, I think this is going to be a really interesting election for a, a lot of the reasons that we've talked about tonight. Yes. Now, Tim, I know if I said, you know, if I'd have said rank every race, you'd have done it. Do you have a seventh one? I do. New Hampshire's my seventh one. Uh, you know, you talked about that race earlier, but, uh, I believe Senator uh, Hassan uh, hangs on. She didn't rest on her laurels, even though the uh, that Governor Sununu chose not to run. He would have been a very, very formidable opponent. Uh, she's raised over $5 million. Uh, that money amount alone is just dwarfing any Republican uh, Opposition. I don't believe national Republicans right now have an appetite for playing there. They they have too many other uh, fish to fry, and, and I believe she's going to hang on. Yes. Um, well, there's um, our rankings, and we're right at eight o'clock. We want to thank. Mike Mitkus for coming on the show tonight. We're excited about next week because we're going to talk about some polling for the first time in the 2022 cycle. We're going to welcome back to the Kudzu Vine from Public Policy Polling, Mr. Tom Jensen. So until All right. then, in the Kudzu Vine. Good night, Good night guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and 